0: I'm Alex and I'm Kelly and welcome to the LitJoy podcast. This episode is brought to you by LitJoy creates holiday events. All through November, December, readers can shop new gifts for readers in their life or for yourself and can shop special sales events. The holiday season is literally our favorite time of year at LitJoy. Myself and Kelly work with our team year round to bring to life the perfect gifts for readers.
1: If you're a fan of Sarah J. Moss, we have lots of items available, but new this season is the Throne of Glass Key. For classic book lovers, we've released the litjoy edition of a Christmas Carol, and there's a darling door knocker ornament that can correlate with it. And perhaps the thing that we're most excited about is our paper art edition of Alice in Wonderland. There will be special discounts happening throughout the month of November and December, so please keep checking back in.
0: If you're a listener tuning in when it's not the holiday season, don't worry, we've got you covered. You can use the code podcast10, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0 at litjoycrate.com slash podcast anytime for 10% off. So podcast 10 is a 10% off discount that doesn't expire. And the Way to navigate to our website is litjoycrate.com slash podcast, L I T J O Y C R A T E dot com slash P O D C A S T. That's where you can find everything we talk about on the podcast as far as products and sales events go. And of course, all of this info will be in the show notes. Hello, reader. On this episode, we are interviewing rebecca ross best-selling author rebecca ross is a number one new york times and sunday times best-selling author of fantasy books for teens and adults she has written multiple highly acclaimed duologies including letters of enchantment elements of cadence and the queen's rising as well as two standalone novels dreams lie beneath and sisters of sword and song hello rebecca welcome hi i'm alex hi i'm kelly And it's so nice to e meet you. We've done several of your books in our crates and in our store. So it's so fun to chat with you today. Yeah, thank you guys so much for
2: inviting me. I appreciate all the support over the years. And uh, so, yeah, so nice to e meet you guys too.
0: Um, Okay, so let's jump right into it. Um, I want to talk a little bit, I think we want to talk a little bit about Divine Rivals because your Letters of Enchantment is is what's hot and what's happening right now. Um, maybe give us kind of an elevator pitch of what Divine Rivals is about.
2: Okay. Uh, Divine Rivals is about two rival journalists who fall in love during a war waged by gods. That is the elevator pitch.
1: I would love to hear um, where the inspiration for this book came from, because I mean, we're going to get into it, but it is such a unique mashup of several different genres in my mind. Um, so tell us a little bit more about what inspired this story. So I take
2: you back in time to 2020. Um, I was wanting to write my next young adult novel and I just wasn't sure what it was going to be. And I actually went quite a few months without writing anything, despite my desire to write the next book. And I think it was just because I felt um, really overwhelmed by the pandemic, as I'm sure a lot of us did, and just did not feel like writing at all. And so I think about 11 months passed where I didn't write anything. And I finally told myself that, all right, it's time. It's time to figure out what's next. Like I've gone long enough without writing and I am a firm believer in using a brainstorming journal, and most of my books have sparked in brainstorming journals. So I opened a fresh journal, and I told myself I was just going to begin to write down random like ideas and thoughts and just whatever came to mind and see if I could not find what my next story was supposed to be. And strange enough, the, a line that I ended up writing down was a girl who writes letters to her missing brother and the boy who reads them. And I was so intrigued by that, that I decided, okay, I think I have an idea here. And I have always loved You've Got Mail, the shop around the corner. Um, I knew one day that I wanted to write a story about two people who are rivals in real life or don't like each other in real life, but fall in love through letters. And so when that line came across my journal, I was like, I think I finally have like the bones to this idea or the initial spark and... um pretty soon after that, like I saw Iris very clearly and I saw her um, kind of dashing to work wearing this trench coat. She had a broken high heel. She was late. And um, I was kind of like discovering the story as I just kind of opened a document, started writing and um, slowly kind of seeing what the world looked like around her and that she was um, worked at a newspaper. And that the moment she walked in to to the office, I could just see, like typewriters on the desk, like all these cups of tea. And so I instantly kind of had that um, early 1900 feel. And um, I envisioned Roman very clearly after that. So she's kind of, she's late to work and I could just see him like at this bulletin board and he's pulling the last assignment off the board and kind of like, you know, taunting her with it. And so that was really the initial spark. And I just had to continue asking myself questions. Okay, so what are these two people like what do they want? Like, why is her brother missing? You know, how are the letters not arriving to, uh, you know, h- how are the letters getting delivered to the person she least expects? So I just had all these questions that I answered as I started writing the book. So it was very much a discovery, a discovery um, book, which is how I normally write, right? But it was really just a very exciting story to write, especially after going so long without writing a single word.
0: Yeah. I'm like, I love that you brought up the setting because It felt like such a creative mashup of there was very like World War II, England, London, kind of like on, you know, uh, that whole vibe where it felt a little bit like historical fiction. But then there was that mythology and then the magic of those letters. And so, you know, magic is real. And then it's obviously it doesn't take place on Earth. It takes place in a fantasy world. Right. And so with different geolocations and, and things like that. And then you brought up, you've got mail. And that was what I thought too, is I was like, it's like world war two historical fiction meets this really beautiful fantasy world meets uh, you've got mail. And that was such a fun mashup. And did you know that you were going to pull in all those elements at the beginning, that it was going to be a fantasy, that it was going to have kind of that like turn of the century London feel, or did those kind of develop along the way?
2: I think I knew I knew fairly early because I did. I kind of had a sense of place pretty pretty early on with the idea. Um, and I think when I had to answer the question, like why is her why is Iris's brother missing to begin with, and I realized that he was missing in action at a war, and so that's where like the World War One kind of time setting came in um, and kind of helped me like flesh out the rest of the world. Cause it is fantasy. It is, it is kind of a hard book to describe because it has a lot going on. Um, but I typically when I've written my other fantasy novels, I always do like to do a little bit of research and kind of dabble in research and, um, like historical fiction. And, and so I definitely did a little bit of research for that, but I think just the going back to like the typewriters, like I just wanted it to have like this very like romantic nostalgic feel as well. But then I had to answer the question, um you know, like again, like where's the magic coming from? And that's when i I found the gods or I brought the gods into the, the story and um which was you know i've it was a lot of fun like i I again was like trying to think outside the box as much as possible, like, well, what if, you know, what if, what if, what if? I feel like a lot of my best ideas do happen when I let my imagination really roam. Um, and again, it's that that thrill of the discovery as you're writing. so, I think that first draft, I really was trying to figure everything out because I had all these, you know, strange pieces that I was bringing together. But it somehow all it all fit together at the end. Um, but I did. I wanted the book to have a very historical feeling to
1: it. Yeah, it was beautiful. And when you were talking about your process, you call it you're a discovery writer. Yes, is that what you the term you're using? Is that similar to like being a pantser or are those yes. separate? Maybe I'd, I it, need it's to be schooled the in same. this. It's um, same kind of idea. Yeah. I like can develop yeah. it as you write. <laughs> yes. Oh, I like discovery better <laughs> <laughs> the um, than writing my seat of your pants. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it reminded me because um keeping a journal for, do you do this with each of your books? Like you have a, like a separate journal that kind of helps it develop as you go. Um, we've spoken with uh, Lainey Taylor, who does this oh, as yes. well. She likes to decorate and then keep a journal per book. And I, I felt, a little bit of that same kind of style in your book as well. I, when I was trying to describe like the mashup for me, it almost writing wise felt like, um, I don't know if you've read Kate Morton before um, with a little bit of like Lainey Taylor. Like there's just this beautiful poetic nature to the writing. Yes. And I felt like I was immediately immersed you know, in the environment and the characters felt like totally real to me and it, it was this amazing mashup because those are two of my favorite authors and so I was like I love this book so much yes. it is just like everything I ever wanted squished in here and I that's why I loved it because it's so unique having the mythological you know gods basically in here on top of like that World War One kind of feel I, I've never seen anything like this before and I loved that surprise so much it was incredible mm-hmm. but
0: I'm just Thank over here you. just <laughs> it's fine <laughs> I do have a question, though. Kelly had mentioned she loved the mythology and the gods in there. And um, I'm, I will be curious to kind of know. So it's Deka. And, is it Deka and Enva is how you say it? I, I read not listen. So
2: I pronounce it as Dacre. So I don't know. A Dacre. lot of people do call it like Dakra. I mean, that's how it looks. And I kind of look when I came across that name. It's like the word acre with a D but I'm also Southern. So that also plays into how I'm pronouncing the name, but I don't care. I mean, people can pronounce it however they want, but
0: I say Dacre. I'd love to know kind of just a little bit more about those gods. Can we expect a lot more of them in book two Uh, and and kind of like how you came up with them? Because they themselves, um, when you say divine rivals, I think you're obviously talking about our main characters, but also these divine rivals is kind of. Like, well, I feel like the layers were there with the title, but maybe I'm just drawing my own conclusions. But I love how they also kind of have this, you know, romance, toxic romance situation too in these gods. So they're their own characters. And I'd love to know a little bit more about them.
2: Yeah. So again, it's it's interesting when I think back to the first draft I had, like, many more gods buried throughout this land and I eventually was like I there's like there's too much going on like let me kind of narrow it down to like five sleeping gods and what happened if two woke up from the grave and uh, what happened if these two had history with each other in a very Hades and Persephone style um, of a myth and so um, I really enjoyed like writing the myths out. I think that's one of my my favorite things to do. Um, I remember kind of this was like a little bit of a rabbit trail, but with Sisters of Sword and Song, I had actually it was another book of mine that featured mythology that I created and gods, and I like spent all this time writing like all these myths that never appeared in the book, but it was, you know, just a fun thing for me to do. So I think when I brought in Dacre and Enva, um again, just wanted to really play like you mentioned Alex with like there is a play on the title between the divine rivals that are Roman and Iris and the divine rivals that are literally Dacre and Enva, which is you know kind of started all of this conflict and humankind is kind of caught between the two of them. But there are a lot of secrets. Um, so I think one of the things is a lot of these myths have been not been taught in schools so people don't truly know very much about either God. It's kind of been very limited and very controlled by what people know. Um, but I wanted Iris and Roman to kind of discover it together, like these myths that they're sharing about both Dacre and Inva and like kind of what's going on. And I will say that there will be a lot of answers because um, I know readers have questions, <laughs> more questions about these two. Um, and you'll get so much more about both of the gods. They'll both be on the page um, in the sequel, Ruthless Vows. But it really was just something that, again, I was just asking myself all these questions and needed an explanation for how, why is this world magical? Let me just
0: connect it to these gods. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. Um, and uh, I was enthralled the whole time. Uh, immediately when I finished the book, I was like, Kelly, you have to read this book. And and I was like, why are not everybody talking about this all the time? Because it, it was m- my personal favorite read from this year. And so I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And I thought um, the romance and the world building was just on point. I loved the like kind of rainy streets running through the city with like, you know, newspaper in hand feeling. So it was very like immersive of an experience. So I'm excited to learn more about the gods because I feel like that's that fantasy element you wove in. And I'm excited to learn more about them. Oh, yeah. And book two, which comes out soon. December
1: 26th. 20, yeah. 26. Oh God, I don't have to wait like a whole year. Okay.
2: <laughs> we bumped the pub date forward. So yes, you don't have to wait too much longer for it.
0: No,
1: we're very excited. I'll get it just in time for my birthday. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> um, So I would love to know a little bit more like um, with the characters, right? Um, I don't know if you feel like you personally identified with any of the characters in Divine Rivals or any of your other books. I always find this interesting to ask. I feel like authors can do that, although like sometimes they write almost themselves or people they know into some of their characters. Um so curious, does that apply in Divine Rivals or any of your other stories?
2: Yeah, I honestly feel like I leave like a little piece of myself behind in every character, but I will say Iris for sure, I really did um Like strongly identify with her. And I don't know if it's because it was the first time that I had ever written about another writer, which I really, really loved. Um, But I think just her outlook on things and how, like, she's obviously much braver than me. Like, you know, I look at her, sometimes I think I, you know, I like to create characters who feel like they could be your next door neighbor, like just the girl next door, like they feel almost kind of ordinary in a way, but that they choose to be brave and do extraordinary things because they, they are brave. And so um, I definitely just, I loved writing Iris so much. And it's interesting, the first draft of Divine Rivals, it was only Iris's point of view. And so I didn't have Roman's POV at all. And my critique partner was reading the first, she, she read the first draft, and she immediately, like, her first note was like, I think you need to include Roman's point of view here. And I was so proud of myself because the book was like 98,000 words. So it was like, I had never written a book that lean before. And I was so proud. Like I was actually under a hundred thousand words. And if I add his POV, it's going to make this (laughs) book so much longer. But she was like, I really think we need to see his, like, I I really want to see him reading the letters and like writing her back. And so I was like, okay, well, let me, let me try to write a chapter from his POV and just see how it goes. And so I wrote that chapter where he's in his bedroom and the letter arrives And he's like, um, oh, my gosh, like, here's another letter, you know, and I loved it so much. It surprised me. And so I was like, well, I think my critique partner was right. Like, we really, we really need Roman's point of view here. And so, of course, I think there are pieces of me that do identify with Roman as well. And looking back on other characters, um, I also really, really loved writing Sidra from A River Enchanted. There's something about her. Anytime I was writing her chapters, it just felt. Like it just flowed so effortlessly. And there were quite a few times where I was writing her chapter that just brought me to tears, I think, because I just felt it so deeply. Um, but yeah, know I love that question. And I love kind of thinking back on all these other characters. It's been a while since I wrote their stories, but they still mean so much to me.
0: I think kind of a follow up question on that. I know Kelly and I are both, um, we got our undergrads in psychology um, and that's just a weird thing we have in common. And so we're always really interested in human behavior and personality tests and and like human strengths, like where's your strengths, what's your love language, all those kind of little tests. And um, I am curious when you're developing a character, what's kind of the process you go through in putting structure around them? Like each character would behave a different way in a different scenario. And how do you kind of create those rules or the personality around that character?
2: So I am a big fan of the Enneagram test. I am sure if y'all are both psychology yes. majors, you might have heard of it. Um,
0: but I I love it so I'm much. Like, let's and do a quick pause. I'm like, <laughs> I just tell us really quick. Do you want to share what you are on the Enneagram? You don't have to because we can cut that out. But I would love to know.
2: Yeah, no, I I'm a four. Which I think a lot of authors are end up being fours.
0: <laughs> are you a four wing five or wing three? I
2: have, I have a wing five. Although sometimes I think, I feel like I genuinely do bounce between like a wing three and a wing five, but for the most part, I think it is, is the five. That's the wing. What, what are y'all? Can I ask what y'all are?
0: Yes, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, um, a seven wing eight or eight wing seven. Um, I kind of actually fall evenly between the two and my husband's a five wing four um and so he lives in that space a lot and then kelly you can yeah. share yours um with the enneagram it's interesting because i'm
1: kind of divided honestly it's interesting and i've asked everyone around me but i am somewhere in that five four range as well um with a huge streak of like two and nine so i'm a bit of
0: a, an, anomaly. an anomaly yeah so i feel
1: um like i kind of fall into the different categories depending on what's happening but i sh- strongly
0: identify with the 5 and 4 a lot. Mm-hmm. I tend to surround myself with fours and fives. So I think that that's where I'm like this feel the best is when I'm like come like be a part of my group. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, awesome. So uh character enneagrams. Tell let's start from there.
2: <laughs> yeah, so sometimes not always, but um I will at least look at the enneagram because if you go to like their their profile like how they like r- list out everything about what this person's strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what they need, what they, you know, how they act when they're at their worst, how they act when they're at their best. Like it can be very inspiring when you are trying to look at all the facets that go into making a character. And I try to keep it as simple as possible where it's like, what does this person need? Um, what do they want? Because a lot of times that is going to fuel a book forward. And sometimes the need and the wants is very different or can conflict. Um, what do they fear? And then what is a secret of theirs? So I try to build off of those four things. And again, sometimes I will pull in pull in the Enneagram. So I think like with Iris, she's definitely a four. So pr- again, pretty easy for me to relate to her. And then Roman is a three. Um, and so they kind of like, I think they share each other's wings. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I find it it is just really helpful. Sometimes I think especially when you are first starting out and beginning a story and you're trying to really learn who the characters are. Um, so I highly, highly recommend the Enneagram test for other writers um, just because it can be very helpful.
0: Yeah, that's fun. I, um, I have like a character dossier sheet that like I'll put in the characters that I'm writing and it's always like the Enneagrams right there at the top. It's always like a reference point. So I love that you do that too because I just thought that was like a nerdy psychology thing, but you're right. It's <laughs> such a helpful tool and creating this person out of kind of nothing, you know, and so and then you, em- you know, you empathize with their struggle, too. And like where where characters um, fall short, which I really love, too. So, yeah, that's fun. Thank you for indulging <laughs> us on that. We're going yeah, to course. do a
1: whole nother episode on
0: just the Enneagram get everyone caught up. Yeah, 100%. Which we want to. I was like, dive into <laughs> it, folks, I know. So do you have a favorite scene or chapter from Divine Rivals? Um, maybe like a favorite once it was finished and and like a favorite one to write would be really interesting.
2: So I I have quite a few that I really, really enjoyed. I think the top one that when I was drafting is the collision chapter. I can't remember like what, what the chapter number is, but it's the chapter is called collision. Um, and if you've read Divine Rivals, you know what I'm talking about. It's about midway through the book. I don't want to spoil anything, but I just remember when that scene was unfolding, it was almost like I couldn't, my my fingers could not keep up like typing the story because it was just like flowing out of me and my heart was just pounding in my chest as if I was actually there with Iris. And, um, so that one was for sure one of my favorites. Um, and I think maybe like going back, like sometimes I will reread, um, I don't necessarily reread my books cover to cover once they're published, but sometimes I'll go back and reread my favorite chapters. And so a chapter that I love to reread is the seven minutes late chapter when Iris and Roman go for a run. And I think it's just because the banter, like it's still I still just love it so much. And um, just it's almost like a little bit like their first date in a really strange way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yes. I just, I really love going back and rereading
1: that one. And the second you say it too, it's like, I'm transported back, which is just such a testament to the writing too. It, it was such an immersive book. I, I, we said that many times, but mm-hmm. I'm all, yes, we agree. We agree with those. Right
0: now, those are two, <laughs> I thought really great moments and definitely the collision one stood out to me. Um, I also really did love the, the chapter where Iris becomes, um, well, I won't give too much away, but. She is talking to a potential boss at a potential news outlet uh, and and about becoming some kind of a correspondence. And I love that chapter because I just could visualize it. It felt like so like on the front lines like, they had just like a level of business that they were like, okay, well, this needs to happen. This is war. And I just, I, it felt so authentic. That was probably one of my favorite chapters. I thought that boss was like such a great side character, like so much character packed into one chapter. Mm. So I really loved that one too. Ah,
2: I love to hear that.
0: <laughs> yeah. There are a few scenes that I was just like, yes. And I wanted so much more of the gods, but I totally get what you mean about getting too spread thin in your magic and like having Mm. too many side stories. So I'm really excited for book two because I think that was another part wherever I got those little um, bits of uh, uh, the mythology and the the kind of folklore around them. Mm -hmm. I thought it was so clever to put those in letters because that's one of those really difficult things for writers to um, put That backstory in, especially the mythology, without having it kind of just stall the story. But putting it in those letters was so clever because you had such an emotional connection between the two characters that they were sharing something together and it was giving the reader backstory. So I was like, oh, that was so clever. That was perfectly done. But that was (laughs) those are probably my favorite parts. Anyways, not that anyone asked.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love no, I love to hear it. Like, I'll share more.
0: There's so many good i know um uh, hey, Kelly, you want to ask question number nine because oh, i feel yeah. like you put that one in well, formation.
1: i noticed that i mean as we mentioned the whole book is very poignant in so many different ways but uh in like the collision chapter we we're talking about um there's this theme that comes up um there's a lot to do this book has lots of different topics but there's grief coping with the emotions of everything um and a healing process but there's a lot of grief mentioned in the book but they don't get to really talk too much about how to deal with it but um this quote that i'm going to read was one of my favorites from the book like i felt this one at my core i got super teary-eyed and it says your grief will never fully fade it will always be with you a shadow you carry in your soul but it will become fainter as your life becomes brighter you will learn to live outside of it again as impossible as it may sound others who share your pain will also help you heal Because you are not alone, not in your fear or your grief or your hopes or your dreams. You are not alone. And um, I was reading some reviews online after, you know, I was putting my five star review in and (laughs) noticed that there was a lot of different forums going um, where people talked about this, where they're like, I don't know if, you know, Rebecca has ever experienced loss before or not. But if she hasn't, she somehow knows exactly what this feels like. Um, and put it something into words that i have never been able to say and so i was just kind of wondering if there's been any personal connection writing about this or if you're just extremely good at your job
2: <laughs> yeah no i i definitely have experienced grief and um in particular i i lost my grandmother she passed away last year but it was a very slow um a very slow passing and i think that made it hard to because she was like bedridden for nine months, she had strokes and dementia. So she was like, could not remember very much. And just um, like sitting at her bedside and just being with her and just knowing she couldn't really like speak or express too much, you know, because of what she had gone through and just watching her slowly, slowly die. Um, and it was it was extremely difficult. But I do think you know, one of the things when, when Iris experiences her grief, she feels very alone. And that's when Roman is like wanting to reassure her, like, you're not alone. Because I think like when I was losing my grandmother, I had my family around me and it's, and I think it's important when you are feeling something like grief, like to not necessarily shut it down. Like, I'll deal with this later. Like actually can be a very powerful thing, but it's, it is helpful to have people around you during those times. Um, and so I was working on you know, I was working on Divine Rivals when this was happening. So I think it was in a way um and then of course, you know, drafting it during at the end of you know end of 2020 when there was a lot of death and grief happening. And so I think a lot of ways it was me trying to like personally grapple with grief that I had experienced and and just like really work through healing. And I've always I mean, you know, I'm a writer so I've always found um Writing to be both just like a sword and a remedy, I guess. And I just think back to when I was a teen; I spent so much time journaling, and and very much how like Iris is dealing with her her worry about her brother. Um, you know, just typing things out, like typing these words out to kind of express how am I feeling, and like let me put it on the page. And so, um, but I will say I agree with you. Like, I think I was surprised by how many readers really like identified or saw themselves in the book and like that exact quote, like how much it meant to them. And I think that has been one of the most, I think powerful things about being an author is getting those messages from readers who said like, I just lost my dad or I lost my husband last year, just like things that bring tears to my eyes and just how much that um, Iris's words meant to them. So um, yeah, it's definitely been, journey I will I will say I think grief very much is it can it can take a while to process and and get through but um and I think again it was a part of my own way of kind of processing my own was through divine rivals so but yeah thank you so much for for asking that question because I think it is you know it's really nice to to know that readers are like identifying with
1: it that way and that it also touched you as well yeah it I hadn't read any of those reviews right before I read the book. And when I read it, I literally stopped, went back and read it like two more times because it just it was, again, perfectly said in a way that I feel like I would have taken up four pages to try to describe. <laughs> I'm long winded, though. And so, um, yeah, it was and I was like, I got to get that quote. I don't put it on my wall, you know, because um, I actually similarly lost my grandma uh, with dementia, things like that. I was there um, and it is it's um It is this, as you mentioned, a shadow that you carry and it it fades, but to just know you're not alone as well, you know, it was beautiful and totally touched my heart. And I know there's obviously thousands of readers that it's touched their hearts as well. That was just like I said, the forums were just talking about that over and over again. So it's, I think it's almost even more poignant because it was so straight from your heart in the book like that. And like the readers feel it. Like it was just this magical moment where I was like, "Oh, felt that so deeply," and it's almost like you're able to like take the emotion that you're feeling and pass it on in those words so perfectly. So loved Mm -hmm. it. Thank you. Yeah, thank (laughs) you. It was beautiful.
0: I want to jump into asking some questions more just about your writing process in general. Um, we did notice, so I think we've done maybe four of your books at LitJoy in in our different um, book subscription offerings. So we've done a lot of them. We started with The Queen's Rising, I think we put in our, our crate, and I read that one and picked that one for our books. Oh my gosh, that um, was like one of our very first. Mm-hmm, yeah, so oh. I, I, I read that um, and um selected it and and was like this is a, like really beautiful story this is so fun and enchanting but we did notice um you put a lot of music into the books you write and so we wanted to ask you if you had any connections with music um a lot of your writing is kind of lyrical but also has um elements of where music is a really important trait um and so in this one one of your in divine Rivals, one of the pieces of mythology that's passed back and forth talks about music. And so I won't spoil that, but I am kind of curious if that's something that you intentionally put in your books or it just kind of happens.
2: It is interesting how often, how often music ends up playing a pretty big role. in my stories is looking back at my back list. I'm like, man, I really do. I, I put music in quite a bit. And um, I played cello in high school. So that is my, that is like all the musical talent that I have, um, which I really enjoyed it. I wish that I had kept, I kept up with it. Um, But I think it's, I think music just in general um, plays a pretty big role in my, um, my thinking process with storytelling with the actual like process of putting the words down on the page. So I'm always listening to music and um, I even I'm very much drawn to like movie soundtracks because you can chart the emotion of a movie like with the soundtrack and so I'm always looking at ways of like how how are stories told like how do they feel Um, and seeing music of a soundtrack being like a different medium for that so very often I will well, with every book, I I curate a special playlist for the book. So all the songs that I listened to um, when I was brainstorming it, when I was writing it, when I was revising it, just and so and it's it's amazing how there are some songs that I've listened to over and over and over when I was writing that I still strongly identify with certain scenes in my books, even though like it could be like you know music from you know a different movie. <laughs> Uh, like Lord of the Rings, which you would strongly associate with Lord of the Rings. But when I hear it, like it would take me back in time to when I was writing chapter 36 or um, so, yeah, I just think that music is, has always been very important in my process. And that's maybe one of the reasons why it, it kind of sneaks its way into into my storytelling as well and kind of getting linked with magic
1: very often. I'm like, I love that you curate playlists. Do you release these on like your website or anything? Well, I have them, I have a Spotify, a Spotify account.
2: Um, nice. And so all of my, my book playlists are public, so you can find them there. So Divine Rivals definitely has a playlist. And it was one of my favorites, because I pulled music from the Atonement soundtrack, and that there's actually typewriter sounds um, in a couple of the songs. And so it kind of gets you like right in the mood, like when I hear like the little typewriter clacking and um, the instrumentals. So, um, but yes, all of my books have
1: playlists that you can go find. I'm like, I love a good curated experience. Let me tell you. Oh Yeah. That's Kelly's jam. (laughs) Yeah. For my book club. I, um, I used to do that for every book we read. I would try to do like a playlist for every book and I just couldn't keep up, you know, but, um, I'm very similar to where I'm like, I just want to be fully immersed. Um, maybe it's that foreign us that just loves that. No, I love complete it. experience I love it so much so thank you for sharing that and so for those who are interested you can go to Rebecca's website sounds like that's where you can find the Spotify information and yeah, yes. possibly listen as well after you've read and I want to go do that speaking of writing and talking about the playlist and things like that I was you know I'm sure you get this question a lot but it's always a fascinating question is like what does your writing routine look like are you very structured are you kind of what you're feeling in the moment tell us more so I, I do
2: try to be structured. Um, it probably has something about me being an Enneagram Four that I need, to, I need to have structure like kind of like a daily routine to follow. Um, but I my best writing hours are first thing in the morning. So what I will typically do, is like I'll wake up and I will make a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. And I will go to my desk and, and write as much this is this is like when I am in like drafting mode. So Putting, you know, creating the, the next story I like to write first thing in the morning. Just sometimes I think it's very much because like you were just dreaming not so long ago and your mind still feels like almost in that magical state where dream you know, dreaming and being awake. But um, so if I am, if I'm drafting, I will, I will write <laughs> until I get hungry. It's like, okay, I need to stop and eat something. And um, recently I've tried to make sure that I incorporate um you know, a lot of walking and, and strength training into my daily routine because in the past I would literally just sit at my desk for hours and hours and hours, and this is not good for my for my body to do that. So I will try to kind of like make sure I do like emails and and work out and take care of the dog, take care of the chickens, and then a lot of times I'll come back and try to do another writing stint in the afternoon. Um, but yeah, I do. I just try to be as structured as possible, almost like I've trained myself where when I walk into my office and I sit at my desk, even if I do not feel like writing and creating, it's almost like, okay, I'm here. I've showed up for work. Like, let me, let me do something even if I don't feel like it, because I think with having a creative career, sometimes that happens. you're just like, I do not feel like doing this today or um, and just still showing up and doing the work. But when I'm on a deadline, um, I am very, very structured and I will actually plan my day out like the night before. So I know going into it, like, this is, this is what I'm doing here. This is what I'm doing here. So I make sure I don't let anything slide. Like the exercise, like make sure you still go out and walk and make sure you eat. Like, you know, don't just like go all morning without eating. So you need to make sure you eat.
1: And so, um, but yes, I have to ask follow-up question. I, well, first of all, I think if I was to ever become a writer, I'm not. Um, I would need to be structured, too. I wouldn't need that routine for me to do it. Um, So I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. But I heard chickens and I got a little distracted. Yeah, I was literally like, can we go back to the chickens? I'm I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Did you get into like, was it a COVID chicken thing? Or did you have chickens before COVID? Because I'm like, "Uh, several of my friends, something happened during COVID. where all of a sudden they all have chickens now. Okay, so
2: I actually am not I wasn't a COVID chicken person. It was actually this year. Um, and they were honestly, my, my husband's idea, he really wanted chickens. And I was like, okay, like I, we had them when I was growing up as a teen, my parents had them and I told him I, we can do chickens, but the coop must be very secure. Like I do not want to wake up in the middle of the night and something got in there because it was just devastating as a teen when like that happened, you know? And so we have a friend that incubated a few for us. And then we got a couple others from um, Tractor Supply. So we have a nice, like, nice little flock. And so they are, they pretty much just started laying about a month ago. So they're still, you know, not that old, but they definitely have been so much fun to have. And like, um, sometimes I'll just take a, a lawn chair out in the yard, just sit with them and look at them. And there's just something about them. They're just so peaceful and just hearing like all the little sounds they make. And it is a little bit like having some free therapy just to kind of unplug and be out out with the chickens. But, and then of course, getting the fresh eggs is also really nice too.
0: Yes, I was like, congratulations on making it to the egg laying phase. Cause I know kind of the buildup, it's like nine months of work to get a egg laying chicken. But I'm like, I desperately want chickens, but I don't, I live in an area where my neighborhood won't allow it. Mm. And so I'm always like, just- coveting people's chickens <laughs> but i'm like i love them i'm like i think chickens are the cutest oh for sure and um my mom one of her best friends has chickens and they like you they'll go up to you and you can pet them like they're they're like come pet me like they're like domesticated chickens oh, that's- i was like this is amazing i want chickens and goats so bad someday <laughs> i know I'm like we
1: digress but this
0: is typical <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> every time i was like yes we're like one day we'll have that
0: farm Right, we talk about a little <laughs> compound or like a reader's compound library in the middle that'd be great <laughs> heck yeah I know um okay so I love kind of learning about your writing routine and um, I am curious have you incorporated I, I don't know what you did before you were a writer so I'd be interested to hear that and I think we would also be interested to hear if any previous jobs are incorporated into your writing now or where that career kind of started because Um, becoming a writer can kind of happen at any time in a person's life. So I'm interested to hear about your journey in becoming a writer.
2: Yeah. So if I've always wanted to be a writer, if you would ask me when I was eight years old, like what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I would have said an author. I said author and Olympic equestrian and Olympic equestrian didn't work out. But um, I just knew just from very, very early on that I wanted to write stories. And I think it's because I loved reading. So I was a voracious reader Um, and it was interesting. I was trying to think back, like, did any of my previous jobs like kind of influence any of my stories? And I don't think as of yet, I will say probably the strangest job I ever had. Um, I took a gap year right after I graduated high school and I lived in Colorado on a dude ranch. And so I actually, we were like two hours from anything. Um, it was very remote, but it was this very, um, very beautiful Western inspired resort where people would come and stay. And so I was a waitress and I was also a cabin girl. So I did like the housekeeping of the cabins, but then like we would square dance with the guests like once a week. And then we would do like a picnic with them. So we were interacting with the guests a lot, like throughout, you know, every day of the week had something special going on. So I learned a lot of square dancing. So I was out there for maybe about (laughs) a year. um, And I loved Colorado so much, but I came back. Um, to Georgia to do college and studied English because I loved reading and writing so much. Um, and then when I graduated college, I worked at um, another university and I actually did lifetime captioning for students who are deaf and hard of hearing. So I would go to class with them and I would have a laptop in front of me and a laptop in front of the student. and I would use a program um, called Cprint that, enabled me to type faster because I would memorize all these abbreviations and so that was also a very very fascinating job because I got to sit in so many different college classrooms and could just kind of soak up what was being said but I didn't have to get tested on it but um, but just typing everything out that was spoken in the class and and giving the student a transcript afterwards so I'm sure there are like bits and pieces of like my time in Colorado um, also my time working at the university that maybe has like you know it's tiny pieces that have worked this way into my books. But I can't think of any um like like very like, you know, like, oh yeah, that was definitely inspired by this. But I think it's just kind of one of those things, like both of those jobs really like helped form me into who I was today. And um so yeah, it was it was definitely very, very interesting especially Colorado. I do. I do miss Colorado sometimes. My husband, I sometimes like, would you ever want to move to Colorado? And he's like, no, it's way too cold. And he's right. There's a lot of snow on the ground in Colorado and in Georgia we rarely get snow. So he's like, I wouldn't know what to do with the snow. But we get that here.
0: <laughs> it's a it's like a bittersweet thing. Yeah. Where like there's like a magical element to like having these seasons, but when you're 4 months deep into winter and you have 2 months to go, you're like, I hate this. Much. <laughs> so it's a it's like There's goods and bads with it where you're like, yeah, Yeah. you can just adjust.
1: Well, we just have a couple more questions for you. I know we've kept you for quite some time, but I'm like, obviously, we could talk for hours, Um, but this is just so fun to like hear about your writing style, your process, everything that goes into these stories. Um, Something I have a question about is like, because I don't know if this gets asked to authors very often, but what's something you'd really like readers to take away from any of your books? Like, do you feel like there's in each book, maybe one different takeaway that you're like, oh, I really hope that they they get this from it. Or is it just like, here you go and take it for what you will after you put it out into the world or, you know, in divine rivals, is there anything in particular? I think, you know, I don't think I particularly
2: think of one thing. Um, but I will say, especially with divine rivals, um, and honestly, you probably look at a lot of my books and say the same thing is that I just want to I want readers to still know there's always hope. And, you know, even in dark, difficult times, like there's always something good worth fighting for. And there's always hope. Um, And I think that's why a lot of my stories do have that, um, that measure of hope woven into them, because I know with Divine Rivals, I've had readers say the book feels so comforting and, and cozy, but it also deals with quite a few very difficult things. And then it's also we have, Um, Iris at the war front kind of experiencing what it's like in the trenches, which is very difficult and heartbreaking and harrowing. So it's interesting how many readers still find that, that thread of light and hope that I wove into that book. Cause it's like, I'm writing about these very difficult, hard things that just make your heart ache. Um, But to still see, you know, like the hope and the love and the joy that can still come out of those times. Um, it's probably, it's probably like the most, what I would say with divine rivals for sure. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's very interesting to think about. And I think at the end of the day, I think I just want my readers to feel like my stories to feel like home to my readers that, um, and I think that's one of the best compliments a reader could ever give me when they, when they tell me like a book feels like home or it's like their comfort read,
1: something they go back to again and
2: again. Like, I just always love to hear that
1: perfect way to describe it too because i'm like yes the second you said that i'm all that's exactly how the book felt there's something so cozy and homey about it um it it just feels like um like a long-lost friend that you've just been been reunited with i don't explain it but there is just that palpable like
0: kind of feeling when you start reading that one so um well done i know and you you mentioned like it feeling like coming home or comfort Mm -hmm. reading um are there any books that are like that for you where like it's a book Ooh. you return to over and over again, or it is your comfort read or it, maybe even a recent read that's made you feel that way. I, I would love to know.
2: Yeah. So I really, really love Juliette Marillier's writing. She wrote daughter of the forest. Um, and that book begins like the seven water series where she focuses on this family and there's just something very just like, I don't, again, I don't know what it is, but when I, when I read her prose, I think it just feels it's this very folkloric feel. It feels very cozy and comforting. Um, so I always, I don't normally have time to reread books these days, but I try to always reread Daughter of the Forest. And then I also really love the Lumitaire Chronicles by Melina Marquetta. I think those are, that whole trilogy, I just, there's something about it and I'm, I'm always drawn back to those books and I, I think it's because the characters feel so real to me. Melina is like a, just a master at creating characters in her stories that are flawed but still so lovable that you really relate to. And there's something, like I've like ugly cried in, in both of those both of those books and series just because I think um, it just really has touched something so deeply in me when I read them um that it does though so it feels home, like finding yourself in the pages
0: yeah i'm all adding to my i was like read literally list. was like okay we'll have to go back and listen to that add them to our Honest. list okay so i love learning new books i know like, like that I've i've heard of both the titles but i'm like mm, okay getting recommendation is like step two it goes on the list
1: what are you read are you reading anything right now that you'd like to share we always like to hear what's currently on the nightstand Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so I I am, I am. just finished Starling House by Alexi Harrow, which Ooh. I loved. Um, and now I'm about to dive in to The Poison Princess by Valia Lind. It is a Snow White retelling, so I'm very excited about that Ooh, Let's add them all to the list.
1: Okay. Well, we want to end with hearing a little bit more about book two, if this is possible. We want to hear a little bit more about Ruthless Vows, which again comes out December 26, Mm -hmm. 2023. Um, What what can you spoil? What can you tell us? Tell us something.
2: I can't say too much. Um, It is one of those things where my publisher has like very, very small amount of arcs, you know, not not a lot of advanced reader copies, because I think they're trying, they want to make sure no spoilers leak. Um, And that everyone experiences Mm -hmm. it together on release week. But I will say that we will be seeing a lot more of Dacre and Inva. They will be on the page. So um, especially if you're thinking about if you've read Divine Rivals and you know how it ends, obviously you could probably kind of Mm -hmm. infer who you're going to be seeing with who. Um, I like to say that Ruthless Vows mirrors Divine Rivals in a sense. Um, and again, I don't want to spoil anything, but if you've read the synopsis for Ruthless Vows, which don't read it if you haven't read Divine Rivals yet, but if you've read Divine Rivals and read the synopsis, you'll probably figure out what I mean when I say it's mirrored. Um, and of course, it's just still very deeply romantic. Um, so it was, it was one of the hardest books that I've, I've ever written. And I think it's because that one and A Fire Endless are both very difficult. And I think it's because they are sequels. So you want to, you're still carrying on these characters in the plot, but also deepening it and then finishing everything. And so it was, I think I definitely cried a few times writing it. I don't know if it was just exhaustion from the deadline, but also just like feeling deeply emotional about it and, you know, having to say goodbye at the end. And um, because the books definitely, they mean a lot to me and um, but yeah, I'm, I'm honestly very, very excited, a little slightly anxious <laughs> for readers to read this because I do want it to, to live up to reader expectations, but I'm very, very proud of the book and I'm very excited um, to see it published soon.
1: Yeah, Like,
0: I'm very excited, too. I'm like, congratulations (laughs) on another duology. That's amazing. And um, we'll make sure to the reader out there who's listening, we'll put all of the information in the show notes Mm -hmm. and ways to find and follow Rebecca, as well as links to, you know, the upcoming book and your your backlist titles. So we'll make sure that they get all the information. I think that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking
2: time to chat with us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And again, thank you for all your support with all my books. It really does mean a lot to me. Of
0: course. Of course. You're a great writer. So I'm like, keep keep writing. You do your job and we'll promote it. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. All right, reader. Thank you for listening to the LitJoy podcast. Make sure to rate and review
1: us. And like a good book, don't forget to recommend us to your friends.